Okay, we're reading from Luke chapter 17, verses 1 to 19, and you'll find that on page 741 in the Red Bibles in the pews. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, Increase our faith. He he replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant ploughing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit sit down to eat? Would he not rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give pra- Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this one foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Amen. Um, Father, thank you so much for uh, today and for the great opportunity we have to think about your word. And we pray for the kids as well that uh, we would all be growing in our knowledge of and our love for you, that we would be people who live radical lives for your sake. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes we Christians do uh, live radical lives. We can uh, be people who think and act in ways that uh, are so different from others that people are surprised, uh, even sceptical about some of the things which we, which we do. Perry Shaw was telling me the other week about a friend of his in Beirut. He's a Christian leader who was offered a luxury prestige motor vehicle at a very low price as a sort of a gift to his ministry. And uh, a lot of people would say, fantastic, go for it. What a great offer. 
But he said no. And instead, he decided to pay a higher price for a much lesser, more ordinary vehicle. And he did so because he's a leader. And as a leader, he was concerned about the example that he would be giving towards others. Young Christian couples um, who choose to enjoy physical intimacy uh, with one another for the first time only after they get married. In today's culture, that's seen as being either strange or false, uh, as if they're making it up, as if no one, no one does that. No one. That's unbelievable. They must be, they must be kidding. A Christian man who uh, was in a good job is invited into the boss's office one day and the boss says to him, it's salary review time and we're very pleased with your work. Uh, how much do you think you're worth? And he says, oh, about as much as I'm getting paid now. Uh, he says, I'm you know, happy with my, my pay. I've got, got enough to pay my bills and... Um, we've got enough savings, so I don't need a pay rise. I don't think the boss was expecting that, do you? No, that's, that's strange, that's, that's weird. Uh, and by the way, if you've just accepted a pay rise, it's, congratulations, that's great, you may need it more than this fellow needed it. But in these examples, we see A, godly leadership, B, sexual purity, and three, material contentment, Behaviour which many would say is strange, unbelievable and too difficult to do. Let me tell you something else which is difficult to do. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is sometimes difficult. Amongst non-Christians, sometimes we see some really good, genuine examples of forgiveness taking place. And uh, I, I think that's got to do with God's general grace and it often happens where there's been a, some sort of a Christian uh, influence in the background. But uh, on other occasions, uh, especially when the, the wrongdoing has been great, where we do, do see a form of forgiveness, scratch below the surface and we see that the forgiveness is, is more about personal well-being. It's about coping uh, rather than reconciliation. In Luke 17, uh, Jesus had a couple of things to say to his disciples about godliness and forgiveness. Uh, things which the disciples thought were just difficult. So hard that they doubted that they could even live that way. Uh, so much so that in uh, in verse 5, all that they could say to the Lord was, increase our faith. Because they felt inadequate. They felt that they couldn't do uh, what Jesus was asking them to do. But why? Why did they feel inadequate? Well, if you have a look at verse uh, 3, so if you wouldn't mind opening up your Bibles at Luke's Gospel, that would be terrific. And it would be great if I could do so myself, actually. But in, in verse 3, Jesus told his disciples to watch themselves because he's just spoken to them about the gravity of sin 
and most particularly the gravity of leading others into sin. Um, if you have a look at verse 1, I'll just read that for you. In verse 1, it says, Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to that person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. Things which cause people to sin. Uh, there's a word which uh, Luke uses there, which, uh, which literally translated uh, means a bait stick. Do you know what I mean by a bait stick? Uh, think mousetrap. Uh, what you, you put the, the cheese on uh, that causes the trap to spring into action, that thing that you put the cheese, that's the bait stick. And the word that's used here for things which cause people to sin is literally bait stick. And temptation's like that, isn't it? Tasty, but deadly. And Jesus says here also, it is, temptation is a fact of life. That uh, these temptations, these bait sticks, they, they are bound to come. That's life in this fallen world. That's life this side of heaven. But you don't want to be the person through whom they come. A millstone is a very large, solid uh, disc-shaped rock which is used for grinding grain and I've got to tell you if you put one of those strap, strap one of those around your neck and get thrown into the sea that's what I call game over uh, that's, that's it for you it's, it's over you're gone well yeah, and yet that is a better state that is a better fate to have than the fate that awaits any person who causes, as Jesus says here, one of these little ones to sin. And by the way, I think when he talks about one of these little ones, he's not only talking about children, because elsewhere uh, he refers to little ones as those who follow Jesus. Anyone who's a Christian uh, is a little one. Now, <clears throat> uh, a little one refers to someone who follows Jesus. Uh, one of the things you notice about <clears throat> leaders, the definition of a leader is a leader is someone who has someone following them. Uh, if, if you don't have someone following you, it doesn't matter what your title is, you're not actually a leader. And last week we saw something about the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, and the ways in which they were actually being bait sticks towards other people. Because uh, we saw that the Pharisees loved one thing. They loved, do you remember what it was? They loved money that's what it said the pharisees who loved money and we saw also that they facilitated immorality because they allowed a man to divorce his wife so that he can go and marry his girlfriend uh, they're bait sticks and when you think about the the kinds of temptations that we can set before other people there are some categories that we can that, that are very common categories one is greed One's immorality. Uh, another one is false teaching. And then there's divisiveness, uh, where we, we, we have issues ourselves and we, we just draw other people in with us. And these things can appear to be very tasty, 
Um, but so is cheese on a bait stick. Now, Jesus promises a very bleak future for anyone who draws others into sin. Sin matters. And so does forgiveness. Um, verse 3. Uh, so watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Right? Uh, so when one of our Christian brothers or sisters sins... Um, we actually have a responsibility for their sake to raise the matter with them. Uh, we, we, we should do sen sensitively and with love. Uh, you know, the Bible says to rebuke one another in brotherly love. Some people think that they've got a ministry of rebuking and correcting. <laughs> in brotherly love, in brotherly love, um, says the Scriptures, because... For a couple of reasons. One is that we need to acknowledge that we too are not perfect and we too can sin in that way. And secondly, because the goal is not judging people, the goal is to actually bring them back from their sin, bring them back into godliness. And when they repent, what should we do? Forgive them. How many times? Well, Jesus, what does he say here? Jesus says seven times in a day. And the Pharisee in us is thinking on the eighth day, that's it. <laughs> on the eighth time, that's it. <laughs> right? No, no, seven times, is, that's the, the number for completion, that's the number for perfection. Notice what the forgiveness is based on. <clears throat> it is based on repentance. And so there is an issue here because if the person does not repent, then it's a different story. Um, in uh, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, we're told that godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life. So <clears throat> you can have all the tears that, that, that you can get out of your eyes, um, but if it doesn't lead to repentance, then that's actually worldly sorrow, which leads to death. But Godly sorrow leads to repentance, which leads to life. However, if a person is not repentant, that's where discipline is appropriate. Um, listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you want to flip that open, uh, not a bad idea to do so. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, on page 809, this is what he says. Verse 11, but now I'm writing to you, uh, verse 10 rather, um, let's go to verse 9, I've written to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, uh, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and slindrous, swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother who is sexually immoral or greedy or an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Uh, so there's clear discipline there, isn't there? With someone who calls himself a brother but he's unrepentant. And the purpose of that will be to actually 
help the person to understand their, 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 their sin and uh, with the hope that they will actually recognise that and return to God. But here in uh, Luke 17, the person is repentant. And I think there's an obvious question here, though, isn't there? And the question is, well, if the person has come back to you seven times in a day, having committed the same sin, are they really repentant? Right. We might just want to hold that thought and, and we'll come back to it. Because what Jesus has said is actually overwhelming for the disciples. It's too much for them. Not leading other people into sin on pain of something worse than being thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck and continually forgiving the repentant sinner, it's just too much for them. It's too radical and they don't know, well, can anybody actually be like that? And so hence their plea, Lord, increase our faith. That's their plea because they felt inadequate. Uh, verse 6. Jesus replied to them, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. In first century Palestine, to say that something was as small as a mustard seed is basically saying it's just really small. Um, a mustard seed was one of the smallest seeds that these farming type of people had to deal with. It's just really tiny. Um, the mulberry tree uh, is a, tr a tree that has a, it has a very strong root system, but interestingly it's more of a, it's more of a horizontal root system than it is a vertical root system. And most plants with horizontal systems, you, you can usually pretty easily yank them out, but not a mulberry tree. Uh, this horizontal type of root system of a mulberry, mulberry tree uh, actually keeps, does keep it very firmly in the ground and it provides stability for the tree as well. So it's not particularly easy to yank it out and uh, throw it away. Um, Jesus apparently pointed to a mulberry tree nearby and saying, if you've just got faith like a mustard seed, just a smidgen of faith, then you can command this tree to be uprooted and planted in the sea. Now, I don't know what they call the science of planting trees inside in seas. <laughs> I don't know if anyone ever does it. I don't see why they would do it, but... That's, Jesus is not into that. Uh, what Jesus is into is saying this. You think it's too hard not to be a bait trap and to lead others to sin. You think that you can't keep on forgiving the repentant sinner. You think that it's too difficult to be different to this world. Well, you can be. But it's not the size of your faith that matters. It's who you place your faith in that counts. Now, someone who's much smarter than me said something like, it's not great faith in God that matters. It's faith in a great God. That's what matters. You see the difference? Huge difference. Now, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper a bit later on, we, we remember why Jesus died. That sin does matter. That sin is so serious that it, 
it sends us to hell. But that on the cross, God the Son took the punishment for our sin upon himself, which means that we can be forgiven. And to have faith simply means to, to trust, to trust in that. It, it can be the simple trust of a child. We trust in what Jesus has done. We don't trust in ourselves. We don't trust in our own goodness or our own righteousness. It's not about having to have more and more faith that that's going to make the difference. It's having faith in Jesus and what he's done for us on the cross. That's where the power is. Um, to have faith means, to, a good faith, appropriate faith, is to trust in the one who is worthy of our trust. And so the important thing is his trustworthiness, that his death has paid for our sins. He died for our sins so that we can be forgiven. Now, that's going to change our attitude towards sin, isn't it? What, what should be our attitude towards sin? We hate it. We despise it. We reject it. Do we want to lead anybody else into sin? God forbid that we should do that. God forbid. We hate sin. Because of the gospel, we will make every effort not to be a bait trap for others. What about forgiveness? Well, <clears throat> would you turn with me to Ephesians for a moment, to Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, you find that on page 829. I'm going to pick it up at verse 31. Ephesians 4, verse 31. And Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And what does he say here? Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The basis of our forgiveness is the fact that we've already been forgiven ourselves by God. Have you, ever, um, have you ever sinned against someone and you've, you've been conscious of that and you've, you've been a bit broken by it and, and you've gone to that person in a, in a humble and a contrite spirit uh, seeking reconciliation and you've asked for forgiveness and they've said no? Where does that leave you? It's a dreadful situation to be in, isn't it? Well, thankfully, God is not like that towards us. That the death of Jesus on the cross is the proof of that. In Romans chapter 5, uh, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the question is not, how can we forgive others? But rather, if we've just got a smidgen of trust in the right person, in the death of Jesus on our behalf, then the question is, how can we not forgive others? How can we be unforgiving? 
seven times in a day? You know, in your life and in my life, there are areas of our character which are, are sinful. Uh, areas where we, we keep on sinning. And we may very well be aware of that. And we, we may be <coughs> repentant of that. We, we, we're deeply sorry. We're ashamed of our sin. And we're on a journey um, towards sanctification. We know the specific sin. We're trying not, by the power of God's Spirit, not to sin in that way. And yet we know that we fall. We also can see that we're making progress. <laughs> that it's, it doesn't have the same grip on its, us that it used to have. But when we do fall, we can come to God and we can say sorry. And we're forgiven. In, in Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that because Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not fall, but because he was tempted as we are, he is actually able to sympathise with our weaknesses so that we can come to the throne of grace and there we can, ref we can find mercy and help in our time of need. God, God forgives us uh, even as we sin in the same way but do so with a repentant heart as we work towards sanctification in our lives. And so forgiving others just makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it, in that framework. But it's not something which we boast about. Um, what if someone was, was proud of their godliness? Um, what if someone were to say to you, you know what, <laughs> the other day so-and-so, she sinned against me and she came to me and she literally begged me for forgiveness and I just couldn't believe how gracious I was. But, um, <laughs> but, you know, because of my faith and my humility, I just forgave her. You know, something, I've, something they say about humility, that with humility, once you've, you think you've re when you think you've got it, you've lost it. <laughs> You know, it's not going When we forgive others, or when we refrain from tempting others to sin, when we exemplify contentment rather than materialism, purity rather than immorality, what are we doing? Well, we're doing exactly what we're supposed to be doing. We're doing exactly what Jesus died for us on the cross in order that we can be free to do we are serving God just as we should be doing. There's nothing great about us. We're just doing what Christians are supposed to do. Now, Jesus illustrates this in verses 7 through to 10, where he talks about a master and a servant. It's not always easy for us to, to wrap our heads around the whole master-servant kind of thing, because most of us don't have... I actually have experience of it uh, because twice in our lives we've actually had a live-in maid. How about that, eh? It's a part of Chinese culture that when a woman gives birth to a child for six weeks, 
She does nothing and you have a professional maid come in to do everything. Um, not doing the dishes didn't take me long to get used to. <laughs> I can tell you that. But here's a story about, you know, Jesus, he's a master communicator because he tells them a story about something which they can very, very easily relate to. And here's a guy who's got a, a servant and his servant works for him all day on his farm, attending to his livestock and looking after his crops. And the, the servant finishes up on the outdoors work for the day and he comes into the house and the master says, take a seat at the table. I'll go and get you your dinner. And Jesus is hearing himself, you've gone too far this time, Jesus. <laughs> That's crazy. That's, that doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And Jesus says, you're right. It doesn't work like that. Uh, because what in fact would happen is that the master would say, well, you've done the work outside, great. Now put your apron on, get me my dinner, and then after that you can have your tea. And then Jesus is here as a thinking, yep, that's better. That's the way it should be. Exactly, says Jesus. And when we are living differently to our world, what are we doing? We're just serving God. We're doing what we're supposed to be doing, cheerfully, gratefully, as we, as we should. And it is God alone who gets the glory. Then in verses 11 through to 19, we meet someone who had every good reason to be grateful. Jesus, we're told, is travelling along the border between Galilee and Samaria. And so there would have been a mixture of types of people in that border zone territory. And there are 10 men who showed some faith in Jesus. They were lepers outcasts. In verse 12, Jesus is in a village, but these, these men who, have, who had been drawn together by their affliction, they didn't get close to Jesus because they, they can't. And so they stood at a distance from where they called out to Jesus and they said, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They didn't need to spell out what kind of pity that they were asking for. They didn't need to say where they would like that pity to be directed. So Jesus simply says to them, uh, well, he doesn't just say, okay, you're healed. He told them to go and show themselves to the priests. Uh, you, you, you know, you're thinking, why would you do that? Well, in Leviticus chapter 14, the priests were the uh, the skin inspection specialists. If someone had a skin disease and they were healed of it, they were to go to the priests, the priests would examine them and they would write out the documentation, sign on the dotted line to say this person has the clearance. Now, when Jesus told these guys to go to the priests and heal them and, and, and have themselves examined, had they been healed? of their leprosy? No. No, what, what's been required here is a smidgen of faith. 
to actually act on the word of Jesus, to trust Jesus. And it seems that on the road, on the way, it actually happened. That their leprous flesh was healed. Can you imagine that? We can't imagine it. Uh, there's one of the men, only one of them though, who is, is just so excited that uh, he just can't contain himself. Have a look at verse 15. Verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. That's called worship, isn't it? He thanked him. He threw himself at his He lay prostrate on the ground and he just thanked Jesus. And here's the sting in the tail. Luke says, and he was a Samaritan. And not only was he an outcast because he was a leper, but he was an outcast from the people of God. He was a Samaritan. And yet it was he, he was the one who returned to give thanks to God. Astonishing, isn't it, that the Jewish lepers did not do so. But in verse 19, Jesus said to the Samaritan, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. And I've got to say that more literally, that can be translated as rise and go, your faith has saved you. Not just healed you, not just repaired your flesh, but has actually saved you. It wasn't great faith in God, but faith like a mustard seed placed rightly in our great God. Faith, the kind of faith that you and I can have, the kind of faith in Jesus that turns ordinary people such as us into those for whom and through whom God can do wonderful things. The things which as non-Christians we might have thought would be too crazy for us to do. Uh, knocking back a great deal on a car. <laughs> Saying, no, I don't need a pay rise. Staying sexually pure. Forgiving those who have hurt us. Faith which enables ordinary people to hate sin, forgive others and surprise even ourselves in serving God just as we should. Let's pray now and um, bring these matters before God. Father, we want to thank you for the amazing uh, work that Jesus has done for us on the cross. Thank you that he paid the guilt that was ours, paid for our penalty, that we can be forgiven. Father, as we understand and comprehend the, the magnitude of that, we pray that we would be changed people, people that live not for ourselves, but people who live for you, people who live to love and to serve you as we ought. Father, help us to be different. May we never set a bait trap before other people. May we live such lives of godliness that we are examples of godliness to those around us. And Father, we pray 
And above all, that we would forgive others just as in Christ you've forgiven us. Help us to be different, we pray. Not because of an increase in our faith, but because of a true appreciation of the faithfulness of the one in whom we put our trust. And we ask these things in his precious name. Amen.